All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6 is kind of is going to be where uh, we'll be this morning. Today marks the end of our series through 1 Timothy. We started this about 10 weeks ago, if you can believe it or not. And uh, one of the things from our vantage point, we've been uh, just kind of you know, taking a step back because of the questions that many of you have asked, because of the discussions that we've heard about in all the different life groups across our campus. And it's one of the amazing things to see God working and moving in you, bringing up questions that maybe you've never asked before, bringing up things that kind of make you stop and reflect and say, hey, does my life match up and reflect what I see here in the text? And you know, folks, honestly, that's, what, that's why we're here. We're not here just to create a great environment and create something for you to check off a box that you attended church this week. But we're here to come and present God's word to you and for you to kind of wrestle with what it is that it says. Maybe it causes you to ask questions about a belief that you've held for a long time. You don't really know where that belief came from. And then as we look in the scripture, you begin to ask that question, wait a second, why? This seems to be a little different. We also want to make sure that you see the Word of God as more than just simply a great reference book, but really that it's a mirror. It's a mirror that you hold up over your life, and as you read it, you look at your own life and you begin to say, does my life reflect this book? Does it reflect who Jesus was? Does it reflect who Jesus is calling me to be today? Does my life reflect what it is to be a follower of him? And so when we gather here together on Sunday mornings and we open up God's word, know this, that it is an opportunity for you not to feel shame, not to feel beat up, not to feel like you're not good enough, but simply to look at it and say, God, what is it that you've intended? And how is it and in what areas of my life do I need to submit to you? Do I need to adjust? Do I need to kind of rethink in order that I might be more like you? You know, there's a popular term going around right now. It's kind of a buzzword. It's called deconstruction. And in church circles, you can kind of be seen as like a scary word. But when you kind of drill down and you look at the point in the premise of deconstruction, what it's trying to do is challenge what you've always believed, right? If you're like me, I grew up going to church. And I grew up with parents who always wanted to make sure that I understood the things of God, that I understood where all the books of the Bible were, right? I used to do this thing called Bible drill where I'd stand up on a stage and they say, turn to Hezekiah 5. That was a joke. There is no book of Hezekiah, okay? Um, but it, it was this way of just like I was just learning all this stuff. And when I got into college, I began to ask the question, wait, why do I believe what I believe? Do I believe it because my parents told it to me? Do I believe it because I have amazing uh, kid volunteers who teach me in Sunday school on Sunday mornings? Is it because of my youth group I grew up in? Why is it that I believe what I believe? And ultimately, it drove me back to saying, okay, God, what does your word actually say? Am I even reading your word? I've got some great bumper sticker verses that I can remember. I've got some great bumper sticker verses, you know, right on your, you know, you leave it in your car, you put it on your mirror in your bathroom when you're getting ready in the morning. But like, am I actually diving into God's word? And am I actually seeing what it says? And is my belief rooted in what God's word says? Or is it rooted in what someone has told me? Is it rooted in what someone has told me? 
You've heard us say this many times. If Sunday mornings is your lifeline, if Sunday mornings is your main connection and your main source of your relationship with God, it is not going to do it for you. Sunday morning is not meant to be that. Sunday morning is meant to be a place where we come and celebrate. That's why we sing songs of praise. We sing songs of praise to celebrate as we reflect on the previous week. God, look at all the things that you've done. Look at your faithfulness. Look at your goodness. Look at, I saw you work in this relationship. I saw you work in this situation uh, in my business. I saw you work in uh, my battle against sin, and I saw you prove your faithfulness. God, you are a firm foundation. God, I praise you, and I love you, and I thank you. So we come together, and we celebrate what God has done. We come together, and we celebrate the goodness of who he is. And then when we go to his word, it's that opportunity, like I said a moment ago, to look at a mirror and say, okay, God, this week, what is it that you're calling me to do? What is it, God, about my heart that I need to address? God, what is it about you that I need to dwell on and meditate on this week as I savor in the goodness and the power of who you are? That's Sunday morning. But then each and every single day, you have the opportunity to go before him in prayer, in Bible study, in community with other believers, as we begin to say, Father, how do we become more like your son, Jesus? That's why we have community. It's not just so that you can have a friend group or a social life. We have community. We have these life groups because they're meant to be a place where you are encouraged, where you are challenged, where you can come with your questions and say, hey, I'm really wrestling with this passage of scripture. It applies to my business situation here, but I really don't know how to handle the business situation because of fear, because of whatever else it might be. Will you pray for me? Will you encourage me? Hey, I've got some really hard stuff going on in my life. I feel like I'm at my wit's end. I feel like I'm at the end of my rope. Hey, life group, I just need y'all to pray because I'm tired. That's why we have community. And God has given us all of these things. He's given us community. He's given us the church. He's given us his word so that we might be transformed and conformed to the image of his son so that our minds would be renewed, so that our hearts would be renewed and refreshed and that we would look and be like Jesus. Since the very beginning of the church, Churches have struggled with this. Believers have struggled with this. Believers in the early church struggled with, hey, we're going to show up and we're going to gather together in our church gathering. And you know what? This person that's talking right now, they're talking about some things that uh, they don't sound quite right. Hey, you know what? We're going to get together and, wow, we're really focusing on something that Jesus never really focused on. Why are we doing this? And this is happening in the early church. You fast forward 2,000 years to today, we still struggle with the same things. We gather together as believers, maybe it's here in this room, and we hear things and we begin to say, wait a second, is that really what God's word says? Is this really the teachings of Jesus? And as we've gone through the book of 1 Timothy, what we've seen is the apostle Paul wrote this letter to his disciple, to Timothy, who's an elder at the church in Ephesus. And he's saying, Timothy, listen, I've heard about false teachers 
and false doctrines inside the church. Deal with it. Address them. Meet them head on. Because these things, you cannot allow them to continue inside this context and inside the body of believers because it will lead people astray and they will swerve. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, you see him kind of jump straight into that. Verses 3 and 4, he says, uh, these false teachers are focusing on uh, silly myths and genealogies. He goes on and he says, hey, just like these other two brothers, we had to just kind of let them go because they were given over to their swaying. They were given over to these things that they were believing. And so he starts the letter kind of in a corrective way to Timothy. Like, hey, Timothy, deal with the stuff that's going on in your church. You've got to address it. You've got to deal with it. And then he goes through in chapters 2 through 5, and he begins to address the roles of believers. He begins to address perhaps leadership roles. He begins to address uh, the role of men and the role of women in the context of the church. And, be, and he's trying to help Timothy understand, hey, here are the things for you to address as the leader, as the under-shepherd here at this church, for you to address and to guide them back towards proper and sound doctrine. And then we get here to chapter 6. And what we begin to see here in chapter 6 is he's wrapping up his letter and he's wanting to kind of give a final charge and a final encouragement and a final word of direction to Timothy. And so turn with me there to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We looked at verses 1 through 3 or 1 through 2 last week. And I want to draw your attention to the very end of chapter or verse 2 in the beginning of 3. Teach and urge these things. Teach and urge these things. What the Apostle Paul begins to do is he's in this chapter, is he's showing Timothy, hey, I want you to finish well. And this is how you need to finish well. Focus your life on Jesus. Focus your life on Jesus. So teach and urge these things. Verse 3, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ in the teaching that accords with godliness... He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So as Paul starts to go into this idea of what it looks like to finish well, he starts off in the very beginning to say, hey, avoid pride. Avoid pride and keep yourself from it and keep yourself from foolish, foolish controversy. Does everybody know what a proud person is? Right? Do you have that image in your mind of a proud individual? Hopefully it's not yourself or your spouse or me, Right? But we all kind of know what a prideful person looks like, right? We kind of have this, this, this caricature of them, right? And why is it that they're prideful? Maybe they think they know better. Maybe they think, hey, you know what? I'm not going to listen to anybody because <laughs> I know all things. I'm from Texas, right? <laughs> that was a joke, too. Um, Right? Like a prideful individual, you just kind of see him, and I don't know about you, but like I'm not drawn to like hang out with that individual. Right? 
Because anything I know that I say, they're going to have a response to it. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, or, that's what you think? Well, let me tell you about this that I, you know, watched on National Geographic or that I watched on TikTok, and now I'm an expert on this thing. Right? Prideful people, they're not necessarily people that you want to, like, be drawn into and, like, want to associate yourself with. In the early church, in, in the church of Ephesus, Paul, in this part of his letter, is kind of describing more of what these false teachers are actually doing. He addresses the false teachers at the beginning of his letter, but now he's kind of unpacking a little bit more of what it is that they're actually doing. They're teaching stuff that's not sound doctrine. It's a different doctrine. It's something that disagrees with the words of Jesus. That should be your first flag, right? When you go to a church, when you listen to somebody who's a you know, preacher, or evangelist, or whatever, in everything they talk about, Either they never mention Jesus, or it's something completely opposite of what Jesus had actually said. Do you know anybody like that? Don't say any names. But just think about it for a moment. Are there individuals out there in the world who talk about godly things, but are completely opposite of what we see Jesus teach us about? I don't know about you, but I, um, I really try to serve my wife well. One of the ways I serve my wife well is I give her a head start going to sleep. Because apparently I fall asleep really quick, and apparently she says I snore. I've never heard myself snore, so I'm still waiting on, you know, facts on that. Um, but if you're like me, you know, you're waiting downstairs, you're on the couch, and, you know, you're like, oh, I'm just going to close my eyes for a minute. And then you wake up at like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and you're like, I am terrible. But if you had like the old school cable TV, I don't know if y'all know what cable TV is anymore. Um, but if you had cable TV, usually what would come on at 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning besides infomercials? Televangelists. They'd be on, the, on your TV as you wake up, and all of a sudden, they're like, hey, I got this prayer cloth right here. I've prayed over it, and if you send me $49.95, I will send this to you, and your life will be blessed. You will wake up, and all your ailments will be gone, and you will wake up with $10,000 in your bank account, and all you have to do is send me three easy installments. I can't do the math of $49.95, but all you got to do is send me that money, and your life will be better, Right? Or have you seen stuff on the news about these celebrity pastors or evangelists who they go around and they talk about, hey, listen here, if you would simply give me X amount of money, I will, sh I will bless you and God will bless you because God told me to tell you to bless me so that I can bless you. So bless me, please. Right? We've all, heard, we've all seen those individuals, right? We've all heard those individuals. Hopefully, when you see those things, you're not like, oh, man, I really want to listen to what it is they have to say. Hopefully, you change the channel. And hopefully, you don't dive in too much. Because there are plenty of people out there in the world who, because these individuals are talking about godly things, they buy into it. And they begin to follow these individuals. And they begin to look at these individuals as, hey, these individuals really do have a word from the Lord. And we're going to follow them. We're going to listen to what they say. And what happens is kind of contrary to what we see Jesus talk about in the book of Revelation. 
He says, be like the Bereans who challenge and look at everything that is told to them. What the Bereans would do is that as they would hear someone speak, they would go to the word of God and say, what is it that this person is saying? Is it sound? Is it proper? And if it's not, then we need to flee. We need to turn away. So Paul's saying, hey, there are these type of individuals in the church. They become puffed up with pride. They walk around as elegant speakers. In ancient times, if you were a philosopher, that's how you would make money. You would walk around into marketplaces, and you would try to gather a crowd, and then you would just begin to, you know, is it soliloquy? I can't talk. You would just begin to orate all these pinings of life that you had in your mind that you developed and you created with the intention that you would gain notoriety, that you'd, go, that you'd gain fame, and that you'd gain wealth. And some of these individuals, perhaps, as we can kind of gather from the text, have come into the church, and they're talking about godliness or godly things, and people in the church are listening to them. And these people walk around with pride. These people create controversy where there's no need for controversy because they bring with them confusion. They bring with them chaos, not chaos in a physical sense where everybody's just kind of running around like crazy, but chaos in the sense of, wait a second, was Jesus really born of a virgin or is that just a story? Wait a second. These moments and these questions and these words and these things that these teachers are doing are creating these controversies and this chaos in the minds of individuals. And the Apostle Paul is warning Timothy, watch out for these people. Deal with these people as they come into the church and as they begin to do things because they will lead people away. And these individuals, how does he describe them? He's not very kind to them. He says they're depraved in their mind. You know what it is to be depraved of something? It's something that you need. It's something that's essential to you, and you're robbed of it. You're not allowed to have it. You're not allowed to really be at your fullest. Their minds are depraved, and then they're deprived of truth, meaning they're not, they don't understand. They can't even see the truth because they're so blinded by their own pride and their own foolishness. And then look with me at the very end of verse 5. Listen to what he says. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Some people, we already talked about a few of them, but some people kind of feel like, hey, you know what? I'm going to talk about godliness. I'm going to go to all these churches and talk about godliness. And you know what? I'm going to make some money from it. I want to get into this ministry gig, right? You don't ever work except on Sundays. You spend all your week at Starbucks drinking coffee and talking about Jesus, and you show up on a stage, and you talk for a little bit and make people laugh, and then life is good, right? You drive an F-250 King Ranch Edition pickup truck. It's a hunter green with a tan interior. I want to get in on this ministry game. That's not reality, folks. But for some people, they see it as a means to say, hey, you know what? I know that I can talk about these, these godly things, this godliness. I know that I can do this, and you know what? People will give me money for it. 
It's a really sweet gig. Anytime, um, as, a, as a pastor, anytime we come across a passage of scripture where we have to start talking about money, there's always a little bit of angst because you never know how people are going to respond. Either it'll be the switch off of like, okay, here we go. They're talking about money. And like, I'm going to tune out and watch ESPN right now on my phone. Or it's this kind of like more volatile, like, I can't believe it. They're asking for more money again. How much more do they need? And money kind of becomes this definer almost of church. Let's think about culture for a second. How do you think culture views the relationship of money in the church? Is it a positive or a negative? It's a negative, okay? It's a negative. How many of you have ever heard people kind of describe a church of like, oh, yeah, don't go there because all they do is kind of push you for money and, you know, they make you become a member so that they can get you with a hook and be like, hey, you have to give money now? Anybody ever heard that before? Or people just tell me that? Yeah, like it's a real view that people have of the church, people who are lost, people who are part of the culture. It's a real way that they view things. And as a pastor... What I encourage all of our new staff, and as like we go through interviews and employees and even in the Leadership Institute, one of the things we often highlight for folks is like, hey, don't, don't go into ministry to make money, because you won't. And it's not a piety thing. It's not trying to be pious and trying to be like all humble and meek. That's not the point of it. But the reality is, is that if God calls you to something, you simply obey. And then you look to him to fulfill your needs. You look to him to find that place of contentment. Because when God calls you to something, you have to obey. And that can be a really scary thing because there's stuff out there in the world that wants to lure us away from our obedience to Jesus. Look with me here, starting at verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. You want to talk about a verse that gets taken out of context and used and abused by individuals? It's this last verse right there. Money is the root of all evil. Money is bad. Money is not bad. Okay? If you think money is bad, give me your money and I will take it off of you so that you don't fall into temptation. Right? Money in and of itself is not bad, right? Notice the verse in what the words actually say. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. When you log into Facebook or Instagram now, I don't do TikTok, so I'm not sure about TikTok. Or you go onto your favorite, uh, you know, website for your favorite news channel, 
What are all the random little boxes that you find, like right in the middle of an article that you're reading or right there on the side? What are, what, what are, what are those? Ads, thank you, we are awake, good job, right? They're advertisements, right? What's all this big controversy about data protection and data privacy? There are companies who say, hey, I wanna find the 38-year-old male who lives kind of in the country and I wanna show him F-250 King Ranch Edition trucks every time he logs into Facebook. Because, I, because we, the company, the man, we think we can get him to buy one if we keep shoving it in his face. And then he'll talk about it often at his church. I'm sorry. But like the big companies, they know how to get us, right? They're really smart individuals. Some of you may be in that industry, and this is not shame on you, right? It's business, okay? It is what it is. It's business. But for us, what we have to recognize and realize is that there's always something tangible pulling at us. Hey, you, you really need that truck. Hey, you really need to go on that vacation. Even though you can't afford it, we'll give you a credit card for you to put it on and then you can pay back that credit card after six months zero interest and we'll do the interest at 32 percent hey you really need to have this relationship you really are alone and being alone is not a good thing so you really need to find somebody go check this place out hey you need to be happy in life we've got the product that will make your life happy all you got to do is buy it. It'll make your life content. We all kind of wrestle with this stuff, whether we're conscious of it or unconscious of it. It's happening every single day of our life. And the question is, are we lured, are we kind of swayed towards those things? And what Paul is kind of, again, he's describing more of these false teachers, is he's saying that these false teachers, this is what they're doing. Is they're trying to lure your, lure, that's really hard to say. They're trying to pull you away from the truth of who Jesus is and what proper doctrine is because there's an enemy out there who constantly wants to rob God of glory. And he doesn't rob God of glory by coming and destroying your life. He robs God of glory by coming and making you take your eyes off of God, by making you unaware of the blessings that God has already given you, of making you worrisome and anxious and making you in this place where instead of looking up to God and recognizing who he is and the goodness of who he is and the faithfulness that he has over your life, instead you turn inward and all you can do is say, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. And the enemy begins to rob God of his glory by just turning your attention away from God and back onto yourself. Hmm. Is there something else I can help with? That's random. <laughs> my Siri went off on my watch. Right? So how do you recover from that? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Whew. Okay, so... <laughs> Shame. All right. Look at verse 8. If we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Folks, money is not evil. 
Having money is not wrong. But you have to avoid the snare of discontentment and the snare of wealth. Because if your life is never at peace, if you're never content with the life that you have today, if you're never content with the wealth that you have today, your whole entire life will focus around that one next thing. And what Paul is trying to charge Timothy, the leader of this church, Timothy, don't get sucked up into this. Yeah, you might make a little bit more money because you'll tickle the ears of your hearers. And maybe you'll gain some wealth from it. But Paul's saying, Timothy, don't do that. Don't do that. Because when you do that, you will remove yourself. You'll draw away from the truth of Jesus. Look at the end of verse 10. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. You can also translate that word as griefs. Have we ever been in a position where we're constantly trying to chase wealth building and we're constantly grieved because we're like, oh, we're finally at the level. And you're like, oh, the mortgage came in or the bill came in or this new need, emergency need came in and now we have no more money. Or you think you're in this new job that you've sought for and you've, you've kind of placed all your hope and desire on this job thinking that it will solve all your problems and you get the job and you show up and guess what? It's not any better than I thought. It's not any better than I thought it would be. I'm still as miserable as I was before. Paul's warning Timothy, don't do this. Don't drive into that. But what about finishing well? What about ending well? Look at verse 11. But as for you, Timothy, and he calls Timothy, O man of God, which we don't have time to really dive into this, but for Paul to call Timothy a man of God, that was something more than Moses, Isaac, Jacob, more than these Old Testament father figures, to be called a man of God was this weighty title that Paul is giving to Timothy. It's a huge deal. And he says, listen, as for you, flee from all of these things. Stop pursuing those things and replace them instead with the following. And he gives him kind of some very clear instructions. Pursue what? Righteousness. Right living according to God. Okay? Godliness. Is your life marked? Like when people look at your life, do they think, wow, that's a godly guy or godly gal right there? The things that you do, the things that you say, the way that you interact with individuals, the way that you conduct your business, the way that you uh, serve and the way that you love your spouse, is it done so in a godly way? Pursue faith. Pursue faith. What does it mean to pursue faith? Right? The Apostle Paul talks about this in another one of his letters. He says, constantly work out your faith. Not, hey, God, I'm really not sure if I'm saved or not, so I'm going to get baptized for the 20th time just to really make sure that I'm solid and that I'm good. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, hey, you have to continue to understand more of who Jesus is. Right? The easiest example is for all the married folks in the room. The person you married one, three, five years ago is not the same person you're married to today. They have changed. And if you don't recognize that they have changed, that's an issue. And you have changed from three years ago, two years ago, and one year ago. 
We're always developing. We're always growing. And our relationship with Jesus should also be growing and developing because there are things about Jesus that you don't know yet. And there are things about you. There are things deep in your heart that you don't even know about yourself yet. Think of your heart as like an onion, minus the smell. Layer upon layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. And Jesus is looking at you and saying, I love you so much, and I'm ready to go and peel back all those layers of your heart because I love you, and I want to make you into who I want you to be. Trust me. Pursue me. Paul keeps going. He says, pursue love, pursue steadfastness, pursue gentleness. Pursue these things. Instead of uh, this place of discontentment, instead of trying to just earn money, instead of all of these false doctrines, instead pursue all of this other stuff. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Believer, if you don't know what to do in your relationship with Jesus, take this checklist and say, Father, how am I doing in my gentleness? If you're a man and you're married, ask your wife, how am I doing in my gentleness? And it's not about touch, but it's about the way that you present yourself to people. It's about the way that people feel like they can approach you. It's about the way that you respond to individuals. It's about the way that you engage and interact with individuals. And then look at verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. I use this description a lot, and maybe it's getting a little old, but I feel like it's, it's worth noting. Um, God is not a big care bear in the sky. And being a believer does not mean that you just walk around like a doormat and you just say, oh, grace, forgiveness. It's all right. Jesus loves you. Yeah, you can, you can keep harming, you can keep abusing, you can keep doing all these things, but God's grace is sufficient. You're not called to be a doormat as a believer in Jesus. You're called to fight with gentleness. You're called to fight with righteousness. You're called to fight with love. You're called to fight. You're called, there's so many strong words that Paul uses in all of his letters and in this letter with Timothy that's meant to spur you on, that's meant to lead you out, that's meant to kind of kick you in the rear a little bit. Because following Jesus is not meant to be getting on a cruise ship and just coasting through life. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you know, you make good money, you're a kind person, you give to charitable needs, and you vote conservative. That's not what it means to be a Christian. It means you hold fast to the doctrines of Jesus, and you are a light in a dark world. Go, therefore, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm going to be with you through the very end of the age. Look at verse 13. He says, I charge you in the presence of God. I charge you. Again, kind of this forceful language. And for the sake of time, let me kind of give you some quick pointers. How do you finish well? Know the end. If you're a believer, what is your end? It's eternity with Jesus. Know the hurdles. What are the obstacles? What are the things that are going to come in this world? 
Paul's outlined them here for Timothy. Here are the hurdles that Timothy is facing. Watch out for false doctrine. Watch out for false teachers. Watch out for things that want to lure, your, lure you away from Jesus. Watch out for these things. Know what the hurdles are before you come upon them, right? Know the source. What is the source of your strength? What's the source of your ability to endure and continue on? Jesus. He says, I, my burden is not heavy. My yoke is light. Bring all of your stuff to me and allow me to work and walk with you through pain, through hardship. Let me celebrate with you in all of these things. And the last thing I would say to finish well, start moving. Rise up, O believer, and start moving forward. Pursue the life in the light of Jesus. Pursue him. Take your faith as your own and move into it. If you don't know something, go to a small community. If you're not in a smaller community of people, of believers, tell us. We want to help connect you to them. Be here on Sundays to celebrate Jesus, to celebrate all that God has done, and also to receive instruction in his word about what he calls us to do and be as believers. And then look at verse 20. Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Are you guarding your faith? Do you remember why it is that you call yourself a believer. Next, uh, in uh, Easter weekend, we're going to celebrate baptisms. And what we always say in our meetings with folks is baptism, obviously, it's symbolic. It represents what Jesus has already done in your heart. But that action of being baptized is meant to serve as a milestone and a marker in your faith journey. Do you remember why you got baptized? because you put your faith in Jesus, that you believed that he died on the cross for your sins, that you believe that he endured an eternal punishment on your behalf. Do you believe, do you remember this fact that there's nothing about you that made him do that except for the fact that he loves you, that he created you, and he wants you to be in eternity with him? Do you remember that, believer? So, our final charge, finish well. Finish well. Hold fast to the gospel. Hold fast to the faith in Jesus. And remember, and Paul beautifully describes this, remember that God who is sovereign, who is king of kings, who is lord of lords, who is, is the eternal immortal he holds you because he loves you. Don't lose sight of that. Fight the good fight of faith and start moving. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And God, thank you that we can learn from the examples of other men and women that you used for your glory. 
And God, there's so much more to talk. There's so much more to discuss about um, just even this text. But Father, for everyone who's here this morning, allow them to just be evaluated. Allow them to just kind of take a moment and reflect on their pursuit of you, on their pursuit of your words, on the pursuit of what it is to be righteous and godly and filled with love and gentleness and to have a strong faith. Father, would you be faithful to them in that? Father, I pray against the enemy that would want to come in and shame them. I pray against the enemy that would want to come in and say, man, you heard it again, but you're still, you're still in, this, in these things. Remind them that they can be an overcomer, not because of their own strength, but because of your love for them and your mercy over their life. Thank you, God, that you don't expect us to be perfect. And God, that in our weaknesses, you show yourself to be stronger. You show yourself to us. So Father, minister to the hearts of the people here this morning and those online, and help us just to rest in the grace that you have over us so that we might finish well in this world. We need you, Jesus. Help us. We pray this in your name. Amen.